You can run, but God. I'd like to look at Jonah chapters 1 and 2 today. Uh, Jonah is a four chapter book with a short 48 verses. So I'm going to spend some time today in Jonah chapter 1 and 2. Uh, one of my favorite speakers, beside Pastor Rob, is Chuck Swindoll from Insight for Living Ministry. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, I love how he breaks down uh, the four chapters of Jonah. Chapter 1, Jonah running from God. Chapter 2, uh, Jonah's in the great fish and... He prays and he runs to God. Um, Chapter 3, the Lord gives Jonah a second chance. And now he runs with God. He actually obeys the Lord's command and he goes to Nineveh. And so he runs with God. And then finally in chapter 4, Jonah's angry because the Lord saved the Ninevites. And Chuck Swindoll basically just said that Jonah was kind of running against God in his anger. Um, Before I jump into the service, I just want to highlight um, a young man by the name of Will. Will, I don't know, are you here today? If you are, could you wave? No, he is not here. Will was our church intern this summer. And Will is a writer. And after the service... If you'd like to get a copy of something that Will's written, it's out on the information desk. But I got this one on Legacy, and it is a must-read, okay? I would just want to encourage you to pick up one of his articles. So, Jonah, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions today. Um, As a teacher, I like to ask questions. My dad even said as a kid to my mother, Joyce, Why does he always ask questions when I don't know the answer? Okay, so I'm going to ask some questions. Here's the first question. Have you ever disobeyed somebody and then ran from the situation? Have you ever disobeyed, maybe your parent, the teacher, a friend, the Lord, and you just went, I'm out of here? Well, I did that when I was five years old. My mom, my sister Deb, and I, we went shopping one day. We went to a place called Kmart. Now, I don't know if you know much about Kmart, but the best I can compare it to is Walmart at a lower quality level. Well, we're in this Kmart, and there was no doubt in the family who was boss. It was definitely my mother. My mother kind of has her hands here and she looks at my sister who was eight and I was five and she goes, kids, here's the deal. Mom needs to pick up a few things. I'm going to allow the two of you to go to the toy section on one condition. You stay together. Oh, great. So off my sister and I went. Now, I don't know if any of you have older siblings. I had one, Debbie. There was no doubt who was the boss when mom and dad weren't around. My sister took ownership of almost being like my second mother. Okay. If she sees this message at some point from Pennsylvania, she'll be like, you told everybody that? Yeah, I did. So we're going to towards the toys. And in my boy brain, I'm going sports equipment, Hot Wheels, and toy guns. 
My sister and her girlfriend, she was not thinking that. She was thinking, I can't even believe I say it. I'm going to say this word in public. Barbies. <laughs> really? So we went that way. And my sister let me know, Don, I'm in charge here. You're going to do what I want. <laughs> that lasted about two minutes. And I looked for an opportunity where my sister was so enthralled with the Barbies that I just took off. Went down a couple hours, found the toys, found the sports equipment. Oh, I was feeling really good. Then a couple minutes later, after kind of getting bored with just looking at the toys, I went, oh, I need to go find my sister. So I went back to that aisle, and guess what? She wasn't there. Now I panicked. Here comes another lady walking down the aisle, and I just went, and my, probably my pathetic little five-year-old voice went, Mommy? And the lady looked at me, and she goes, Little boy, are you lost? <laughs> she goes, and I'll never forget this. She said, I am not your mommy, but I will help you find her. So off the customer service we went. All of a sudden, this person on the PA system, Mrs. Joyce Dewey, your son is lost. Please come to customer service immediately. My mom and sister come, and my mom, she always had a big heart for people. I could just see tears coming down her eyes. Get to the car, and she said, son, <laughs> what were the directions? You wanted me to stay with my sister, and I didn't do that. You're right, son. Okay, and my mom just, you know, she didn't punish me. She heard me, but she said, this better never happen again. Well, you know what? In the Bible, there was, we're going to look at Jonah today. Jonah was also disobedient. Jonah was also someone that ran away. And so for, for you that have a Bible or if you have your phone app, Turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, 1 through 4. Jonah 1, 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent such a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So God said to go. Jonah's like, nope, not doing it. And Jonah responded by running away from the Lord in, in verse 3. And can I say this to you today in a loving way? When we run away from what God wants, it's going to cost us something. 
But yet, there's hope. Because I am personal testimony this morning that the Lord doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And you go, Don, you have no idea what I've done. The Lord does. And you know what? His word tells us time and time and time again that he loves us. So wherever you're at today, wherever you're at online, here today, he loves you. I want you to get that message today. He loves you. So can I ask and just maybe say it out loud? Okay. Um, what did the Lord ask Jonah to do? Anybody? Just say it out. Go to Nineveh. Jonah, I want you to go. How did Jonah respond? I mean, because he was a prophet. He was a, a big time person in, in, in Israel at that time. So he, what did he do? No, I'm not going. Okay? And so, uh, maybe it's my weird personality, my silly personality, but I, I always have a quote. And I came up with this one about a half a year ago, way before I ever knew that I was going to speak. When you do what you want to do, you will never do what God intended for you to do. I want you to think about that for a minute. I know there's a lot of do's in there. I'm sorry. What, when you do what you want to do, you will not do what the Lord intended for you to do. Jonah was running from the Lord and it cost him. And we're going to look at that here in a moment. So, why did Jonah run away? I, I think simply he wanted to do things his way. Okay? And I wrote down a question here. So why did Jonah run away? Three thoughts. Pastor Skip Heitzig, pastor out of Calvary Church in Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico, had these three points that I wanted to pass on to you this morning. First of all, maybe Jonah thought, this is too hard of a call for me. I'm not ready to do this. Secondly, maybe the situation in Nineveh was too dangerous. At that time, Nineveh was known as a wicked city. It tells us in the early part of Jonah chapter 1, in verse 2, it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So it was a dangerous place. I did a little study on this and it actually said that uh, in history the Ninevites actually uh, had the heads of people that they killed and put them at the city gates. So, you know, if you were traveling, I don't know if you'd travel on a vacation to Nineveh, but if you were traveling, you would see these decapitated heads as you're entering the city. I dug a little bit deeper uh, based from Pastor Skip's message and didn't know this, but present day Nineveh is now Mosul, Iraq, the headquarters of ISIS, one of the largest terrorist groups in the world right now. Or maybe 
it wasn't too hard, or maybe it wasn't too dangerous. Maybe Jonah was the problem. Maybe it was that Jonah didn't have a healthy respect for the Ninevites. Jonah didn't, maybe he didn't like the Assyrians. I mean, at that time, they were enemies of Israel. Jonah may have even thought that the Lord was exclusively for Israel and no other nation. Now, being a teacher, I'm sorry, I love maps, even though I'm not a social studies teacher. But I just wanted to put a map up here just real quick to give you a visual of where Jonah was, where he wants to go, and where God wants him to go. Jonah was from a place called Gath Hefer, okay, just a little bit north of Jerusalem. And the travel to Joppa was about 60 miles, okay? So God's plan was go to Nineveh. You see Nineveh up here by the letter B. Nineveh was about 550 miles away. Well, Jonah went down to Joppa. He got on a ship and he wanted to go. He wanted his destination to be the southern tip of Spain, present day Spain, to Tarshish. So Jonah's plan or God's plan? I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but there have been many times in my life. It's like, I want my way or God's way. Like, which one is it? Okay, and so my, my second point this morning is knowing the truth doesn't always lead to us living it out. Jonah 1.17 and 2.1, but Jonah provided a great fish, sorry, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The prophet Jonah knew the truth. I mean, (laughs) he was God's prophet. He was a spokesman for the Lord. And yet... He didn't do what God wanted. One of my verses that I say every morning is John eight thirty two. For you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God is the truth. The Lord Jesus is the truth. So if we know Him, He's the one that's going to be able to set us free. Now, one school example. Are any of you familiar with the I know that child? Maybe in your own home. Don't want to get too personal. Go, Don, you're getting too personal here. Maybe your sibling. They always have an answer for everything. Well, here, here's how it works in Mr. Don Dewey's classroom. Usually when there's an issue, <laughs> it's at recess. And our school, we have a morning recess. We have a lunch recess, and we have an afternoon recess. They get a lot of recess. And usually the way it works, a student will come to me, Mr. Dewey, this person did this to me. Oh, okay. I will speak to them. 
I may call you, call you out in the hall after I speak to them. So kids come back into class. I ask the child that has been uh, declared the guilty person to come out in the hall. And I ask them, hey, this is what so-and-so told me. What's your perspective on this? I usually get one of three responses. Clam up. Nothing. The second one I get is the blame game. Well, you should have seen what she did to me or he did to me. I did this, but they started it. Oh, okay. And I don't know if it's COVID-related, John, but the one that I've had during COVID is this one. I already know that. So I pause and I think, okay, so if you already know that you shouldn't hit someone or swear at someone or kick someone or exclude them, why would you do that? I don't know. Really? So, just because we say, I know that, doesn't guarantee us living it out. It it didn't in Jonah's situation, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I, I truly believe Jonah loved the Lord. He just didn't want to do, in that situation that we're reading about this morning, he just didn't want to do... God's will. He wanted to do his own thing. <sighs> kind of embarrassing, but if I'm, I always tell my kids at school, if I'm going to embarrass someone, it's going to be me. So I might embarrass myself, but that's okay. Um, I was in grade seven, 11-year-old boy. And I started to notice the imaginary facial hair on my face. <laughs> I was in the bathroom one morning. My dad had this straight razor, like sharp, straight razor. And I'm like, oh, dad, that looks pretty cool. What is it? (laughs) He turns around, goes, son, this is my razor. It's very sharp. It's not a toy. Leave it alone. Okay, dad, that's cool. Yeah. Well, that lasted about two whole days. Two days later, I'm in the bathroom. And ladies, I don't know if you know this about men, but we do look at ourselves. We do. We do. Any guy that says he doesn't, uh, I don't know. So I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm going, you know what? I can perceive facial hair there. So I took my dad's razor out and I lathered myself up with like real shaving cream. And I, st- I started to shave with his razor. I was like, oh, wow, I am an 11-year-old man. Dad, Dad's now going to be threatened a little bit in this house. Now that there are two men in this house. Shaved there. All of a sudden, I hear a... It's my sister. Don, what are you doing in the bathroom? Uh, nothing. Lie. Don, I'm coming in because I know you're up to something. She opens the door and she sees me shaving. And she's like, what are you doing? Dad just told you two days ago to leave his stuff alone. You're going to be in so much trouble if you cut. Ah, Debbie, I'm an 11-year-old man. 
I need to start shaving before I get hairy. So my sister walks out. And I, this, I literally did this. I start shaving here and I'm like, oh, oh, that feels so good. And I get right below my nose. And I hit that and I screamed. And blood was everywhere. My mother, bless her heart, best mother in the world. She was a nurse in her career, but she was like that at home too. Don, Don, what'd you do? I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Okay, mom, please. This 11-year-old man went to, like, you know, went to, like, many years back in age for that moment of being uh, cut. Mom took care of me. But you know what? I still have a scar there. Right under my nose. And, yes, my mother forgave me. Yes, my dad wasn't impressed. Yes, my dad gave me the second talk about the razor. And I said, Dad, I don't know if I'll ever shave again. That hurt. And you know what? Even though I have that scar there, what it reminds me of is, first of all, it reminds me of my own disobedience. I knew I shouldn't have touched that razor, but I wanted my way. My disobedience... Physically has scarred my body. But Psalm 145 verse 8 tells us the gracious and compa- that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in love. And I think the Lord wants His church and His, His people to be that way. Maybe you won't get a chance to preach to someone at your job, or at your school, or where you're at. But you can be gracious. You can be compassionate. You can show, uh, you can be slow to anger and rich in love for people. I want to just encourage you to do that. Finally, point three. Third and final point this, mo- this morning. Exposure to Scripture doesn't always guarantee a godly life. Does knowing the Bible always lead us to doing what the Lord wants? It didn't in Jonah's case. Um, I have a couple other verses that I wanted to share with you. Um, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel's having a conversation with the king of Israel, King Saul. King Saul, if I could define King Saul in one phrase, he did things his way. Okay, And Samuel came to Saul and told him, destroy all the Amalekites and all their animals. And Saul didn't do that. He kept the animals alive. Samuel shows up. Samuel says this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Psalm 91.1, again a verse that I say every, every morning. Psalm 91.1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge in my fortress. My God is in whom I trust. A couple quick points. Are you today, are you running away from the Lord? Or are you running to Him? I can't answer that for you. I'm not asking you in a judgmental way. For many of us, that's the last thing we need is someone from the church to feel like we're judging them. There are a lot, as Vince said, there are a lot of hurting children in our community today. And a great ministry like Youth for Christ serves a lot of hurting kids. And as a school teacher, Krista Smith, who teaches at Steinbeck Christian, Mike uh, Martins from our church, who teaches in one of the elementary schools here, John Tarek, Carson Dick, who's here with us today, myself, and, and I don't know everyone that's a teacher here, I'm, I apologize if I don't mention your name, Henry and Tanya Kasdorf, okay, teachers. It's not easy being a teacher. But it, I, I've just from people that I've talked to, those of us, a lot of the people that I talk to, we feel called to teaching. And you know what? When my wife, my wife is a huge help for me. There's no way I could do what I do without my wife. And sometimes my wife and I talk and my wife's just like, pray for the kid that's like really annoying you. So I'll do that. <laughs> and you know what the Lord consistently tells me? Love that child, Don. Don't try to change him or her. Love them. Lord, I'm going to need your help. He goes, I know that. Will you trust me? Will you trust me to love that kid that's like annoying you? Yes. And it's amazing the transformation that can happen in a child's life when we simply love them. I'm a grandpa. And my kids last year at school figured out, we know how to distract Mr. Dewey from his teaching. <laughs> one of my little girls told me one day after school, she goes, we know exactly how to distract you. Just ask you about Bennett, Ivy, and Murphy, my three grandkids. I love Bennett, Ivy, and Murphy. I mean, we always have a great time together. Bennett's four, Ivy's two, little Murphy's one. And, oh, we just have a blast together. I, I can't even begin to tell you how much fun the three little people in my life and I have together with my wife and I. Anyway, so are you walking with God? Are you running away from God? You go, Don, you'll understand the hurt that I'm going through. You'll understand. I had a child tell me this year, Mr. Dewey, it sounds like you come from a really great home. You don't understand what it's like when mom and dad fight all the time. You know what I said to this child? You are 100% right. I, I, I don't. Mrs. Dewey doesn't scream at me. She doesn't. Okay? Never? No, never. No, no. I mean, I can be dumb sometimes, but... She doesn't scream at me. <laughs> Thankfully. See, running from God, ladies and gentlemen, is impossible. Because the Lord loves you so much, He's going to pursue you. He's going to let you know that in your need of health, in your need of a job, 
in your need for relationships like Vince talked about with community groups. Like Val and I, we want to be on board. We want to be encouraged. We want to be loved on like this past year where we were blessed to be with Greg and Michelle and totally loved, totally accepted, totally cared for. And so I don't know, like Vince said, I don't know what the next step for my wife and I will be, but we want to love people. For those that are hurting, we want them to feel welcome. So running from God is impossible, and running to God is necessary for us to love the Lord, to live for Him, to trust Him, and obey Him. I have one final story for you. I was 17 years old, high school senior, went to music class one day, and my two good buddies, Jim and Eric, came to me. Dewey. Yeah. Why are you saying Dewey? I'm right here. Dewey, there's a party on Friday night, and my friend Jim said, and he was kind of bragging. He goes, you know Marcy and I are dating now, right? And I'm like, yeah, Jim, I know. He said, Marcy and I are going. I said, how about you, Eric? He's like, I'm not sure yet. You should come. So I went home and told my mother, hey, there's this party at so-and-so's house. What do you think? My mother's like, what do you know about the kid that's hosting the party? He's a classmate of mine. What do you know about him? Uh, He's in choir with me. But no, Don, I'm not talking about that kind of outer stuff. I'm talking about, like, what's he actually like? What's his heart? I have no idea what his heart is. No idea. And my mother looked me in the eye and she goes, Don, I just don't feel good about this. And my dad kind of touched my mom's hand. Kind of like, Joyce, you know, slow down. And so my mom decided, hey, let dad and I talk. We'll talk about it at supper tomorrow night. So tomorrow night came. And my mom, after supper, my mom's like, okay, Don. Dad thinks that you should get to go because you're almost 18 years old. I am not comfortable with that, so we're going to make a compromise. You can go on one condition. Yes, Mom. You can go as long as you look me in the eye and promise me that if there's trouble at this party, you will get up and you will leave. Mom, what kind of trouble are you thinking? Drinking, uh, drugs, and other stuff. Mom, I'm not going there for any of those. I know that, but I wanted to hear you say it. So yes, I'll let you go. But again, you're going to look me in the eye and say, you're not going to break that promise, are you? No, Mom. So we get to the party. I walk in the door. Who do I see first? I see my friend Jim, looking real cool, has his arm around his girlfriend Marcy. And I was the oddball, so I was the third person on the couch. I sit down. We're talking a little bit, just about school stuff. I wasn't at that party for probably more than ten minutes, ladies and gentlemen. And in come two of my classmates with this big metal cake. And I said to Jim, I said, what is that? (laughs) 
Dewey, that's alcohol. I looked him right in the eye. I said, Jim, you and I have been friends since grade one. I don't feel comfortable staying here. If there's trouble, I'm going to get it double at home. Because I made a promise to my parents that if there was trouble going on, I'm getting out of here. Jim looked me in the eye, didn't raise his voice. He just said, with his arm around his girlfriend, I'm not going anywhere. But if you feel like you need to go, then, then leave. So I got up. Not only did I leave, I got uh, the steps up to the house, got down the steps, and I honestly ran for two blocks. And growing up in Pennsylvania, a block is a pretty big block. I ran two blocks. I was out of breath. I started to walk. I turned on to Main Street, and all of a sudden I heard, Here comes the police, zooming down the street, going up the street that I just ran down. I get home and I tell my parents. My dad was more the quieter one, just kind of listening, taking everything in. And my mom's just like, Donna, I'm just so glad you're home and safe. And thank you for keeping that promise. I go up to my room and I told my mother before I went up, I said, you know, I've been friends with Jim since I was six. I don't know if he and I are going to be friends any longer. My mom's like, you know what? The Lord's going to take care of you. He has up to this point of your life. Just trust him. Okay? So I get to school on Monday and Jim's the first person looking for me. Jim's like, can we have lunch together? There's some things I need to tell you. I said, is it about Friday night? It is. So I'll make it very short here in closing. Jim was this big football player. I mean, he was six foot two, over 200 pounds, and just was such an athletic guy. I was not 200 pounds. I was, uh, you know, 140. <laughs> and... Uh, Jim, I, in all my years of knowing Jim, I've never seen him cry until that day at, at our high school. He had tears in his eyes. And he goes, Donna, he says, I have a couple of things to say to you. He sounded like a parent, so I'm going. <laughs> Jim's like, I want to thank you for being courageous when I wasn't. I'm like, what are you talking about? You left when no one else did. And I want to thank you for that. You're welcome, Jim. Jim's like, as soon as you left, Marcy turned to me. And girls, I love that you're this direct with us guys. Marcy was very direct with Jim. And she said, Jim, I like you. My parents um, are starting to trust you. But if I stay here... And we get in trouble? Jim, I guarantee you, my parents will never let me go out on a date with you again. Now, Jim's a pretty smart guy. Guess what he did? He and Marcy got up and left. And Jim went on to tell me, as the tears were welling up in his eyes, he's like, Don, you left on your own. Marcy and I left together because I knew that there would be a cost if we got in trouble. 
And Don, you don't know this because you were already gone. We were like two minutes out of that house when the police car pulled up in front. And every kid that was at that party, beside Jim, myself, and his girlfriend, Marcy, all, there was a consequence. I can't remember if they were put on, like, restriction. But they had to go three months as high school students. They were not allowed out of their house after dark without a parent. As I have prepared for this message this morning, one thing that really sticks out in the life of Don Dewey is how gracious and compassionate and loving the Lord Jesus Christ has been toward me. I had a teacher in university tell me, Don, there's something different about you. I just sense that the God up above has protected you from a lot of stuff. And I'm like, he has. So I looked up the word, the Lord is my protector, and I found Elohim Shamri, which simply means in Hebrew that the Lord is my protector. I want to conclude by looking at these here real quick. The Lord wants us to obey him. Even, I maybe should say, especially when it's tough. The Lord's plans might not be what we want. It might not be what we want. And finally, the Lord wants to save all people. Could you imagine if the Lord called you to go to a dangerous place? Let's just say Moscow today. If he called you to go to Moscow to share the good news. Or maybe it's in your own neighborhood. Maybe it's in Rwanda. Maybe it's in Mexico. For most of us, it's probably Steinbeck right now in our lives. Do others see Jesus in us? So my question that I'd like to ask one more time is, are you running from the Lord? Or are you running to him? As Greg and the worship team comes, I would like to just pray. And uh, if there could be a couple ladies and gentlemen that would be willing to come forward, if anyone wants to come and ask for prayer, we as a church are not here to judge you. We as a church are here to love you. So let me just pray and turn it over to Greg. Lord Jesus. You are so gracious and compassionate. Lord, there are people in our midst today that need a physical touch from you. Uh, their body needs your touch, Lord. And we just want to believe that, that, that you can heal them. You are the healer. You're the great physician. And we just ask, Jesus, that if there's anyone that has a physical need today, they would bring it to you today. They'd feel comfortable enough to ask someone to pray for them. Again, for our missionaries, Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for their courage. I thank you, Lord, that you would use them, that you would make a major breakthrough in their ministry and lead many, many people to Jesus. 
And I thank you for my new friend, Diego Abara. And I just pray for Diego and Carla and Cielo as they return to Mazatlan here soon. I just pray your protection, your love, your joy, your peace on them, that as they serve you, they will see the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ in their ministry. And Lord, for us living in Steinbeck and the surrounding area, may our neighbors see Jesus. May our relatives see Jesus. May our enemies or people that don't like us see Jesus. Lord, use us today. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.